0: Hi everyone! Welcome to another episode of Ruby Rogues. I'm David Kamura, and today on our panel we have Darren Bromer.
1: Hello, everybody.
0: And Luke Stutters. Hello. And today we have a special guest, Masafumi Okura. Hi, everyone. So, Masafumi, would you mind just giving us an introduction of who you are, what you're doing, and just some of the things that people know you for?
2: Sure. So, I'm a freelance software engineer based in Japan, Tokyo. I've been doing uh, Rails and Ruby stuff for over 80 years. And now I'm I'm, uh, developing a JSON serializer library called Alba. I'm also a chief organizer of tech conference called Kaigi on Rails. I also organize uh, local Ruby meetups,
3: uh, like a few, that's it. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watch the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually, I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one, too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com.
0: Cool. And is the Kaigi on Rails different from the Ruby Kaigi?
3: Totally different.
2: No... Overlaps of organizers or okay. uh,
0: concepts, yeah. Cool. And how long have you been organizing the Kaigi on Rails?
2: Actually, it started last year. Yeah. So it's a new, shiny conference.
0: Yeah. And that's yeah. one thing I love about the Rails community. A lot of people say that it's just kind of leveled off or it's just not growing anymore. But there's always great people, new people coming in and just starting something new. And, you know, I really hope it takes off for you.
1: I'm going to go ahead and and ask the silly question because I I think that I'm the only one on the panel without the language background. So maybe could you say, what is the, is there a meaning behind the word Kaigi or what what do we take from that? So Kaigi, the word Kaigi means meeting, but
2: not exactly, but it's similar to meeting. But in this context, Kaigi, means conference taking place in Japan or some sort of thing like so basically before Ruby Kaigi there was a and there is a Ruby comp in the states right Mm -hmm. so they they needed to come up with new name for another conference focusing on Ruby and then they came up with
1: the word Kaigi and that was it makes sense yeah Ruby community I love
0: it and One thing that you mentioned in your introduction was a JSON serializer, Alba. Would you mind diving into that a bit? What it is, why you're creating it? Because we do have some JSON serializers already available to us in Rails. So what makes yours different or what was your inspiration behind it?
2: So first of all, all, I I liked the existing solutions like Active Model Serializers or like JBuilder, but they... They don't spark joy. Do spark joy? Komari san stuff. No, they do not spark
4: <laughs> any joy at all.
2: No, so I try to find something I, I I'm satisfied with. And so for example, blueprint blue printer. Do you know blue printer? No. So blue printer is a Ruby gem from a Procore team. And it was better than MS in some points. But it was the wording is kind of unique sort of thing. And I didn't think that I could introduce it to my team. So I kept looking for the best one, but I couldn't find it. So I started to think like, well, I can build my own one. That's better than any alternatives.
4: Can we, can we just dive into why would you not just call JSON? What's the point of this? Because uh, I just I just go dot two JSON and uh, uh, well, it's not that simple. We need to require JSON first. <laughs> it's not yet not yet included automatically. But what's why would you not just call dot two JSON on your objects? Because it's dangerous. It's dangerous because no, it's fine. What are you
2: talking about? It's perfectly <laughs> safe. For example, yeah, it it could leak password field password digest. Or password encrypted or whatever, but it it could leak like the information which we don't want to expose. We can we can basically we cannot control what should be exposed or not. Or it could it could be possible, but it's hard. But in contrast with serializers, we have a allow list
4: about what should be exposed. Right, so it's a kind of it doesn't get in unless you explicitly say this is serializable.
1: Right, so it's you're saying it's dangerous in the sense that two JSON is not aware; it has no knowledge of the semantic meaning of the object. It's just going to s- simply dump all of the contents. So you might get a leaked password, leaked credentials, something something like that. So and certainly, certainly that can happen. How how does is it still relying on intention, good intentions of developers, then, to use that and to annotate what fields are sensitive, or how does it go about pr- adding that guardrail, adding that protection? So you asked how, you asked how to protect? Yeah, course. let me. So if one of the main benefits is to add a guardrail so that we don't just dump sensitive data into a log mm-hmm. file or somewhere where we don't want that to happen, what are some of the main protections that? This library, your library provides. How does it? How does it help stop the problem of a developer just writing to JSON and sensitive data gets leaked? How how would I go about using it? Uh, so not about my library, but about the
2: nature of JSON serializer libraries. Explicitly tells the serializer what to what. What are the, the attributes? So, for example, there's no way to tell Alba to expose all attributes because that's, there's no definition of all attributes. So when there are like twenty attributes on the class, then you have to explicitly tell Alba to expose twenty
1: attributes. Okay, with so it's twenty, an, it's 20 an, symbols, right? It's an opt-in. I have to think through each attribute that I want to be included in the JSON, and in that process, decide whether it's appropriate or not.
2: So if it's not appropriate,
1: then we can just not not include the attribute. Right. does it make sense. Yeah, I didn't know yeah. if it used anything from the model classes or any other metadata that might be available to help with that process.
2: Uh, no, because it doesn't depend on active record, for example. Actually, it doesn't depend on any external libraries. So there's no mechanism to fetch
0: metadata from the object. But you know, the whole opt That's really not a bad practice, especially when you're talking about an API. Because how often would someone come in and add a new attribute to this model that you're creating? You know, So if we are talking about a simple user model that has an email, username, password, whatever else kind of attributes, and now you want to grant some kind of API token to that user so that they can then make calls to your application. So you just generate a API key for every user in your table, and then they can just go to their account, get the key, and then start using it. Well, if you forgot that you were just doing a JSON serializer on your user table, but you had explicitly excluded the password column and perhaps an email, well, now you just leak the API keys to everybody if you're not doing an opt-in. So I think having a explicit opt-in to where later as you're developing, you're like, hey, why don't we have access to our API key that we added in to this JSON endpoint? Well, now we know why because we didn't explicitly opt-in to include that. So I see this as a much safer way than just by default giving everybody everything and excluding what you just don't want.
1: Yeah, I think you end up with the classic trade-off of you want to make it easy to do the the right thing. And this is a little bit of a trade-off between development productivity or efficiency versus being able to have the correctness and having the security controls you want. Because it's certainly easier to do right to JSON if you're going to opt in and explicitly add each attribute of objects in your serializer, you're gonna do the right thing, but you're now the trade-off is I've taken more time to do that in each of the use cases where that comes up. So I, I think this is sort of a that that's the trade-off that I think we're talking about here.
4: I'm gonna I'm gonna rain on this and say ALBA is a great name for it. it's a good name. I like the name, but I don't like the serializer. And that's because it uses JSON which is obviously JavaScript based and therefore bad you know, what's wrong with marshall.dump? I know Darren was uh, alluding to that earlier. Surely marshall.dump is a much better way. It's a Ruby way of storing storing uh, objects. Why would we not use marshall.dump instead of the uh, the JSON format? <laughs> I'll consider adding a new backend. <laughs> <laughs> In in all seriousness, my my introduction to Ruby was not in the context of web applications. It was in the context of retail, in-store retail applications and shops. And we had Ruby objects that were using Marshall.dump into the database and being restored. And I remember distinctly, it would have been kind of late 2010 when we, maybe later than that, we started moving to this newfangled JSON format. And it's amazing how 10 years on, everything, everything is using uh, JSON to the extent that, is it Postgres? Does MySQL have it too, where if you um, Mm -hmm. serialize an object to JSON, you can not only put it in the database, but you can also tell the database that this is a JSON object and you can do optimized queries based on the contents of that.
0: MySQL does have a JSON data type. I think it came out in MySQL 5.6 or 5.7. Mm. And then Postgres has had it for quite a long time. And prior to that, they had HStore, I believe. But I mean, Luke, would you prefer XML for everything?
4: Yes, yes. Because of types, types make everything better, don't they? Have you, which is uh, actually a question I wanted to ask. Uh, have you looked at the, the new type support? in ruby and in the context of uh, serializing types.
2: Actually I tried to type alba a few months ago uh, using type prof type prof gem and rbs gem. Mm-hmm. The result was it was possible but at that time it was a few months ago it was not you know enjoyable thing to do. And and in terms of JSON, it supports only six types: string, integer, booleans, array, object, and null. So it's so simple that the language type system is not related. Mm. And but like I, I believe Ruby's type system is getting better in the future, and it supports some. In some ways, it supports
4: other or
2: other gems as well.
4: So it's funny you said XML, Dave, because actually I do. I am. I just started working on a project which is xML based and it has a kind of aerospace angle to it and one of the reasons why they're using XML and not Json firstly first and uh, I mustn't say that because we're applying for funding firstly there's nothing wrong with XML what a great format because the types are often a requirement for stuff like air traffic control data so you it must be typed you, you're not allowed to have an untyped system because of it's, it's being used in a decision-making process. But I, I much prefer JSON. JSON's a lot better, isn't it? <laughs> if if you could, if you could, you'd uh, you'd JSON it.
0: I know. I remember a few years ago, I was trying to work with a XML-based API talking over a SOAP interface, and oh no, not
4: SOAP! No, <laughs> I, I <laughs> it's, did
0: it's, not enjoy it. <laughs>
1: This is this that, has become the retro Ruby episode now, hasn't it? <laughs> that definitely does not spark joy doing that. <laughs> but but Luke, it sounds like it sounds like maybe you would be a fan of. We should start in Arson. I, I did just happen to look, and it looks like Rust has already taken the Rust object notation acronym. But maybe we can come up with an, an Arson Prime Ruby version, and maybe take the best of JSON and XML. How about that? I, I f- I struggle to think what
4: Ruby has in terms of types of that I mean because you can just define your own, can't you? You just kind of make your own class. When what this is what I do when I get in trouble in Ruby is you kind of you just use an iser and do your type checking checking that way. So I think if in order to do it the Ruby way, you'd have to have an object notation format. That can support metaprogramming within the uh, within the object notation itself. I think this is this is the most Ruby way to do it. Is so that the object notation itself can can spring classes. But then, of course, you've got the classic, you know, Marshal, which can you can marshal classes, correct? And didn't they have this enormous security problem when uh, in was it kind of one eight seven when it turned out that you could kind of execute whatever you wanted if you did it in a Marshal I can't remember the details, but this is another reason why we had to move to JSON from the Marshall dump is because it was, even though it was a closed system, it was a, quite a high profile thing at the time. I think Ruby 1.9, is that ring a bell? I
0: don't remember the Marshall security issue. I was saying it wasn't there, but strange. So Masafumi, question around Alba, is there a reason why if someone is creating a Ruby on Rails application, why should they consider using ALBA over the included JBuilder?
2: So, JBuilder is a view layer, and it, the way it abstracts vision composition is to use partials. And, but using partials in JBuilder is slow. It really slow. It's really slow that, that there are some articles about how to speed up JSON partial rendering. In JBuilder. And one solution is to use cache. But as you know, cache is hard to, hard to fully control. And basically, if, if we don't, if we don't need to use cache, we're happy, right? So, so in order to use JBuilder, JBuilder with the speed we're happy with, we need to use cache. It's not a good thing. The second thing is JBuilder's DSL is, in my opinion, hard to remember, I always, I'm always confused, like what's extract or what's like when, when I call array and the method, like what happens or something. And I don't think it's intuitive. In
0: contrast, not
2: only Alba, like, but like serialized style is much more readable, but like just a few lines of attributes, declaration, like attributes, name, attributes, ID, attributes, full name. Do first name plus last name, and that's it. Like so, there are two main, mainly two benefits. One is speed. jbuilder is typically slow, but other is faster than not only faster, faster than jbuilder but also faster than other similar alternatives. The second reason is the easy to understand. I don't know how to say it in English. Understandability.
4: <laughs> yeah.
2: So in my opinion. ShareBuilder is hard to understand, while Serializer style is much easier to read.
0: And I noticed in the documentation, you have a different backend configuration that you can use. So you can use the default, which is just the default or JSON, which means that you don't need any external dependencies. Or you could add in something else like OJ, which then you are adding in an additional dependency, but what is going to be the main difference in using a different kind of backend with alba the difference so so why would someone want to introduce another dependency like oj mm-hmm. it, to be used along with alba
2: so oj is optimized json and the the dumping speed is faster than the default bundled json library and it it also has features called optimized rails which literally optimized JSON for Rails. So some people are already using OJ for their JSON solutions in Rails. And, and in Alba, I, I don't want Alba to be dependent on external gems, but if it's optional, it's totally fine for me. So I made it optional dependency, I mean OJ. And so I'm happy with no dependencies and people already using OJ are also happy because they still use OJ while they start to use lava Does that, that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's cool because I think you kind of hit something that had been frustrating me about JBuilder that I never really put my finger on it. And it's the partials. You know, their DSL is strange. And, you know, I just always go to the gem documentation whenever I need to really work in there until I'm... Caught back up to speed again on JBuilder, but the partials always seem to be trying to be too Railsy, if that makes sense. Where mm. they try to make it seem too much like Rails instead of trying to go for speed over the Rails way of doing something, and I think that's kind of a mistake because when, especially when you're talking about a JSON API, that's not really a user interface. So you want that thing to be really fast. And if you're introducing something like partials, then it very well could slow it down, especially if you're rendering a whole bunch of them.
4: I've got a confession to make, I've got a confession to make, I don't use JBuilder. I just make my own hash and call .dot2 JSON on it. I don't, you know, if I need to serialize a complex object, I just tend to write my own because it's, it's quicker. For the stuff I do. But I can see that maybe some people do need JBuilder if they've got. I notice that there's a test for circular dependencies. If you've got a more complex nested data structure that you want to serialize, you might go to something like Alba or JBuilder. Yes. What's what for you, what's the pain point? When do you when do you draw the line and say, okay, I'm not gonna just make my own hash and Jsonify it. When do you start thinking? Oh, I start need to. that de- I, I need a serialization system for this problem.
2: If there are two eachs more than two eachs I think I consider moving to more declarative ways. Like if it's flat JSON, then it's absolutely fine to just render just just render JSON by writing crafting hash manually. <laughs> but oh, and if statement. So. Nesting root loops and repeated if statements makes me feel oh I need to find another way.
4: I'll, I'll admit to eight each statements. I'll admit to having written a serializer that uses eight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> before before I start thinking there's something wrong. Yeah, two. That's a that's a low bar. That's what I'll say. Yeah, I will I will then ask as a follow up question. What's wrong with having loads of each statements? Why not just make whatever JSON you feel like? Is there an advantage to uh, testing using the serial that using the this serialization framework? So you
2: might need JB. You know, you know JB, not JBuilder, but JB. Um, James Bond. <laughs> no, <laughs> JB is a alternative to JBuilder. So basically, it lets us write hash. In JBuilder template, that's right. It. <laughs> so it's very it's very um, straightforward. So when you want to write directly write JSON in your view template, then this might help you. And look, what was your original question? I forgot.
4: Oh, it was just to do, if you if you want to do something quick, you just make a hash and put it out as JSON. But as soon as you start to get a more complicated structure. Mm-hmm. Then this will help you manage complexity. I was just seeing if there are any other benefits like easier testing or things like that.
2: So, so for example, well, like when we talked about types, Alba supports typing already. So, for example, when when I declare like three attributes, let's say uh, ID, name, and email, and I can declare ID should be integer name should be string and email is also string. So when we manually craft JSON by hand, it's not possible to ensure that no, it's it's possible. I mean when when we when we call two i or two s or capital integer method over over the attribute it's possible, but it it's kind of it's not scattered, scattered. It's messy. Yeah. So yeah, the performance is definitely the benefit of using ABBA, but actually, when we create JSON API, the bottleneck tends to be SQL part and not API part. So of course, when ABBA performs really fast, it's a good thing. But yeah, expressiveness
3: is the benefit ABBA provides over other solutions. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv premium.
0: You know, one issue I have with JSON APIs just in general is having to deal with pagination. If you make a JSON API that also does pagination, it's possible and you can do it. It's just it's very annoying. I don't know if you guys have had that experience. Um, I
4: don't know what you mean.
0: Because a lot of times with a if you have a separate front end from a back end, you can't just return the records. They want to know what page is it and then how many total records there are and then what Iteration of records are you on like twenty six to fifty and that kind of stuff. I so. think you're going to
1: have that though with any data format, right? Oh, yeah. Like I don't know. Yeah. Oh yeah. So,
0: but you know, if you just stick with plain old Rails, you're not having to do JSON or anything. Then the Kaminari or Will Paginate gem and you're golden, or even the Pagy gem, and you're pretty much golden. You don't have to worry about all that. But if you are doing a separate backend from a front-end, then you do have to worry about, okay, we need to add in all these extra attributes that if we had just kept it as a single monolith, I never would have had to worry about. So really, I guess this isn't a bash on JSON APIs as much as it is JavaScript frameworks.
1: Yeah, that
2: makes sense. Pagination is tricky part. I, I'd i love to support pagination in Java, but there are three major libraries, as Beth mentioned. Will paginate the old one is pretty old, like Rails 3.0 error. And Kaminari is new one, and the Peiji is latest one. And the behavior of three gems are like different. And it, it, basically, it, in, in page, for example, in Pagey, it returns Pagey method, Pagey helper method returns Pagey object. And this object contains. Pagination information. Currently, I have I have not found a good way to integrate page information into Alba internals. It's totally external to Alba, so some we need to somehow integrate it. So I once thought like, oh, there are only three libraries, so I can provide three ways to integrate pagination gems. But now I don't think it's uh, it's the right way to go down.
0: And so quick question, just overviewing about Alba. So how long have you been working on it? And is it something that you foresee yourself continuing to do? Because that's one concern that I have whenever I consider the adoption of a gem. Is it well tested? Is it currently being worked on or maintained? Does the main author still have interest in it? The
2: first commit, according to GitHub, the first comment is... January 21, 2020, it's initial commit. So 16 months ago, 17 months ago. Anyway, last year, the head of last year. And I'm fully interested in continuing uh, developing ABBA. Actually, right before this show started, I added one commit to (laughs) ABBA. And that's add a new badge. To read me, so actually, it's a therapy for me. It might sound weird, but writing code, developing algo, is now a therapy. When I when I'm confused or when I'm in chaos or when I'm depressed, I code and I feel okay, <laughs> and I write more code and I feel better. So yeah, and I've my been
0: trying to, <laughs> I've been trying to teach my wife Ruby, you know, just to help with her depression, but she won't learn it. I find I think reading
4: code has the opposite effect on me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think it's a really good call out that you that you made, Masafumi, in that coding is a great way to express yourself, a little bit of escapism. And it is it is almost like therapy. I'm curious. I'm always interested to ask engineers this when they take on a big project. So you mentioned you started around 17 months or so ago, so you identified these pain points and the problems that you wanted to solve, make it easier or more secure for developers like you mentioned. So as you've gone through this process, what's something that you've you've learned or that maybe you didn't think about as much at the beginning, maybe something that you were surprised by? But what was something, what's your big takeaway from, you, you spent a decent amount of time working on this, 17 months, so... What's something that you learned out of this exercise or out of this project? I learned a lot about myself.
2: So when I when when the energy inside me is empty or almost empty, I I could write code, but it's it's not something I I find best. When I'm not when I'm not healthy enough, I write code, but the result is not something I'm satisfied with. So writing code is really something. I need to focus. I need to do at my best. Well, so writing okay code is possible when, when I'm not fully focused, but writing best code takes me so much effort and concentration. So I take, I need to take rest. So I, so when you see my commit history, some, for some month, there's almost no commit. I, I recall. At that time, I felt not okay. I was depressed or something like that. And it's the code history is honest. When I feel when I feel better, I write lots of code. I commit a lot. Like sometimes I commit, I make I make six or seven commits in a day. And, I, and I'm not the best. Commits are like one one commit a day or two commits per
1: week or something. So code is filometer. That's an interesting thought that someone's you know, git history or their commits, and when you look at that, how that maps or translates to what's going on in their life, or just their their happiness, how much <laughs> how much joy, how much sparking of joy is going on. Now, th- those those are really interesting points. I definitely agree with the therapy, and I think in terms of being satisfied with code, I mean, we're engineers, like we always feel like there are things that we can do to improve or things we want to add. I think sometimes we let perfect be the enemy of the good. But speak for um, yourself,
4: Darren. I'm all about lowering those barriers to entry or or
1: standards, as other people call them. (laughs) And clearly, without a doubt, the last year has been challenging. So I think coding from studies that I have seen, some of the productivity has certainly gone up. You know, a lot of engineers are working remotely now. So that adds to that. But we're we've also been a little more isolated, and now we're trying to to figure out this new this new hybrid model. Fortunately, though, I think I think software development has always, with open source and with tools like GitHub, the tools to do asynchronous kind of distributed development have always been there. So I think we've been able to transition more easily than some other than some other industries or, or lines of business. But but yeah, no, they, just kind of, kind of going back to what you were talking about, tying into just the the psychological aspects of it and looking at that that that's probably a, a topic for another show but certainly an interesting one
2: i learned another thing i forgot to mention that oh i i write i i could i noticed that i could write something that's meaningful out of work so in in the context of work we believe everything we do is meaning meaningful but outside of work <laughs> outside of work we typically think we what we do is just for us just just for recreation just for killing time but i found it i mean i found creating a library or and, and let it let it used by someone i know is a fantastic experience or i could build something meaningful in my spare time and that was that was also a therapeutic therapeutic
1: <laughs> moment <laughs> yeah. well when you're doing your when you're doing your work it's out of need that you're building these things. You need to get your tasks done. You need to complete the job. And so you're building, you're building those components, writing that software out of necessity. You know, necessity is the mother of all invention, I guess they say. When you're doing it on your spare time and when you're doing it for your own personal projects, it's not, you're not necessarily solving, you may be solving a problem at hand. You may just be creating something that you find, find interesting. So it's almost the difference between like top-down philosophy or, or, or bottom-up. You know, you don't necessarily know what problem you're solving, but it's something that you find interesting. And, and oftentimes, like you said, many other people do find it extremely useful. And I think that's why open source is so many people get into it because it is a great feeling.
4: Yeah,
2: open source feels good. Honestly, I recommend, I'd like to recommend like my friends to build something small in an open source manner and, and let people find it. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, I want to switch topics real quick you know before we run out of time is there anything that you want to say about Kage on rails so Kage
2: on rails is my another thing i do my i do in my spare time and i love it so unfortunately it started as an online conference last year and it's also online this year
4: this is a great name i love the name of the conference the stay at home edition this is this is a really great name because there's so many possibilities because you can now make this year the kind of keep staying at home edition and then finally <laughs> when japan's more open you can have the don't stay at home edition so this is this is a name that keeps on giving it's a very good name
2: ah i i didn't come up with that idea but yeah in the future Maybe next year, hopefully, you can ha- even not not stay at not
4: home. Well, home. <laughs> you could you could just say "stay at home" Aaron Patterson edition. You know, you could just make one person stay at home.
2: <laughs> but stay at home edition is the name of the last year one. This year, this actually, I I wanted to I wanted to add I wanted to add new name to each year. So so for example. KaiGun Rails Sofa edition or Kaigan Rails blah 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 edition, whatever. But other team members were against me, that it's hard to remember. So this year it's just KaiGon Rails 2021. Yeah. But anyway, we will have one. It's a domestic conference this year, but I'm planning to make it international next year, 2022. So I I I hope, I hope that we can invite lots of people from overseas to Japan and let them enjoy sushi, sake, (laughs) those kind of fantastic things. And this year, we will invite someone from the core team. We were doing so. And so although the conference is for Japanese developers, people outside Japan will enjoy a keynote and some tech talks from the event.
0: Yeah, it's cool. Yes. I mean, your last one, you definitely got some pretty big names in there, which is really cool. Just a few that I recognize, uh, Kyochi and the Kira Matsuda and Aaron Patterson. So now yeah, I definitely wish you luck in this year's conference.
4: Thank you. Are you going to have a Ruby Olympics? Because of course, it's Olympics year in Japan, correct?
2: Correct. And if we do Ruby Olympics, if we open
4: it, what what's the, the thing to do? I mean <laughs> uh yeah. kura, kura sushi eating contest, first event. What it? Sushi, sushi eating event? Mm-hmm. The 100, 100 yen sushi restaurant, whoever has the most plates mm. wins. Yeah. Oh. We, we we have kaiten sushi in Japan,
2: where 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 just like one coin, like one dollar sushi comes comes to us. We order it and they they just come on the belt conveyor. Now,
4: mm-hmm. so This is this is an idea I've been thinking about for a while. I've been trying to make a wheel of Ruby, like a wheel of fortune uh, for the podcast, so we can kind of spin it virtually, and it will land on various aspects of the Ruby language. And then you get a point that you can answer the question. But uh, unfortunately, my front-end development skills are lacking, so it may end up being made of wood, instead of CSS watch this space <laughs> but uh, when in the UK we used to have when we used to have meetups then we had a great competition where we had to make a hangman program So the idea was that you have a very simple game that's competitive and you can write a Ruby program to play the other Ruby program yes so whoever can kind of write the best competitive Ruby pro, Program within kind of one hour, two hours, then they win. And of course, we're all in the hub, we're in the bar, we're drinking beer while we're doing it. So it's that—that's the 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 last competitive Ruby event I went to. But it's difficult to do in these difficult times. But it might be fun.
2: Seriously, though, I I want to make Cayenne Rails a festival festival for Rubyists. And so we're thinking of having some sort of workshops or those kind of I- in interactive communications so that Kaigi on Rails is not something we just sit and watch and done.
0: That's really cool. Was well, there anything else that we want to discuss or talk about or should we move on into picks?
4: We should probably okay. mention that the um, the CFP for Ruby Kaigi is open, correct? Correct. Actually, I've already submitted it.
0: Awesome. And when does that end? When is the... The end of June. Okay. So people still have some time to submit a talk if they want. And is it Japanese required or English for the talks?
2: As usual. So no Japanese required.
0: Okay, great. Yeah, So that definitely opens up a lot of doors to others. So cool. All right, Masafumi. if people want to reach out to you or kind of follow you online, where should they go?
2: I... Um, I can be found on Twitter, twitter.com slash my full name, O-K-U-R-A-M-A-S-A-F-U-M-I. I also have some other social accounts, but not active. Maybe the most active one is GitHub,
3: github.com slash the same.
0: Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and dive into some picks. Hey,
3: folks. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, And I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit, and you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev.
0: Luke, do you want to start us off?
4: Yeah, I'm going to pick myself. I'm not literally myself. Yes. I'm going to pick my gem because I did. I wrote a gem. This is the first public software release I've made since 1998. This is the first code I put online in the internet era, and it's also my first gem, uh, coincidentally. And even has a badly written test in it and some R doc. I found it difficult to do i did find it difficult to write my first gem partly because i had to skip between guides because i'd never done kind of rdoc stuff before so i was kind of juggling various things but it's online it's a gem that uses it's a gem that uses a card reader a wireless card reader an rfid card reader so it's kind of a hardware support gem and you have a little wireless key tag that you could use for opening doors or turning off and on equipment a bit like a wireless barcode if you wanted to use this kind of hardware before and it's very affordable it's like kind of three dollar pcb this thing if you wanted to use it before you would have had to kind of use a python library which of course does work but you know, you have to, oh, you know, it's not ideal. I'd much rather do the whole thing in Ruby. So there we go. That's my gem. It's called RDM 6300. That's the name of the hardware device. And hopefully I will have more hardware
1: related gems soon.
0: Awesome. And Darren, do you have any picks?
1: Yes. So my pick for this week, it's based on, I, I'm a big fan of the functional programming paradigm where it makes sense. And so when you're talking about Rails controller actions or ones that logically kind of fit into the service pattern are, uh, I think, a great way to design applications and reuse services. So there's a gem called Light Service. And it's, as the name implies, is a very light framework that gives you a nice pattern to use to develop these. It has some simple orchestration that you can combine existing services into larger transactions. And it's got very... Very elegant error handling. And that is my, my pick for the week. I, I recommend it and suggest it if you've got any any non-trivial amounts of application logic in, in your Rails apps, check that out.
0: Awesome. And I'll jump in with the pick. I'm going to pick a non-programmer thing, but a techie thing. And it's the Apple AirTags. So we have invested in the Apple ecosystem. And we did just get the Apple TV the newest edition with the new Siri remote. And apparently the remote is a millimeter thicker now, which is Apple's reasoning why they did not build in the AirTag support into the remote, which my kids have already lost it twice, once in the couch, which they thought, oh, couches, you know, with this thing being one more millimeter thick, it won't get lost in your couches. Off, No, couches are not designed down to the millimeter. You know, that's just a fact. And so I just basically hot glued an AirTag to the back of our Siri remote. And it's already saved me a few times because now it's definitely a lot more than just one millimeter thicker. And it won't fall into the couches. And it ends up under our couch in one of the kids' bedrooms outside for some reason. So AirTag hot glued to a Siri remote is pretty much my pick here.
4: How long do you think it would take before we see AirTags attached to gas station bathroom keys?
0: <laughs> oh, dear. No no comment on that one. But they have already made dog collars with their tags, even though Apple really says, like, this is not for tracking pets or humans. It is for tracking small devices. So, but whatever. Uh, it, it tracked my Siri remote really well me do you have any picks?
2: Yes, I have a couple picks. The first one is a service called Esa. So Esa is a basically Markdown document sharing service for teams. But the superior one, spare feature is that it has our real-time collaboration editor for Markdown. So like Google Docs, but for Markdown, it really helps us. When we run Trigon Rails, we we share we write and share minutes in real time. And my second pick is mRuby. Luke mentioned in the show uh, mm-hmm. mRuby. dot You can find mRuby mRuby. It's not Ruby, but mRuby. Uh, so m is embedded embedded Ruby. is a Ruby implementation from Maths himself. But it's slightly different than the Ruby's original implementation called CRuby or MRI. For example, it doesn't have public method and private method. All methods are public. So private call is just dummy. That's pretty interesting. And, and I, I uh, translated my gem, some, some of my gems into a uh, mruby gems. And uh, that's pretty fun. And I also—is
4: there, there a separate gem system for M Ruby Gems?
2: Yes, M M Gem or M R B Gem. I don't know which which name is the uh, correct one. But yes, wow. yes, so we do have Matt's, gem system.
4: Matt has his own secret supply of gems that I didn't know about.
2: Yeah, and so I, as a practice, I created a small factory bot for and Ruby, and that's a that's good practice, exercise, brain exercise. So those are my picks. Awesome. Well, Just like I to really say before we
4: wrap up, Dave, that it's 4 a.m. in Tokyo. It's 4 a.m. So Massaphimia has come on to do the Ruby Rogues podcast at 3 a.m. Japan time. That is dedication. As someone who has worked with a Japanese company for a few years, I feel your pain when it comes to time zones. And yeah, thank you very much.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. My
4: thank you. My pleasure. Right. A lot Go of fun. get
0: some rest. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's a wrap, everyone. And I really appreciate you coming on and talking with us, especially so late your time. That was very kind of you. And I really enjoyed the conversation.
3: All right. Thank you. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.